0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Live for Kieran McGuire. Uh, it's an interview pod today, Kieran, it's a bonus interview pod. I'm not going to lie, it's three seconds since you recorded <laughs> yesterday's pod. Uh, so I'm guessing that in the meantime, you, you briefly left frame just for a second to Pat Finley, but I'm, I'm guessing that your life is still as rosy and comfortable as it was three seconds ago.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I, I I genuinely feel sorry for anybody that has to live with me or work with me because <laughs> I am irritatingly cheerful, and uh, it, 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 even when I got home last, yeah, you know, when, you know, when I got home from the Luton game. Uh, yeah, it was one o'clock in the morning. Um Baroness said, Are you in a bad mood? He said, yeah, no, we we that's fine. Um, anything else sir? Yeah, yeah, got 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 done for speeding. <laughs> why what, what, why aren't you pissed off? I said, Well
0: I've got, I've got a choice, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I choose not to. See, I, I feel for the Baroness sometimes because you, you, you get home sober all the time. So she doesn't know the pleasures of being woken up by her husband Go, I'm so lucky to have you um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, our interview today, Kieran, is with Martin Calladine, who's written a book called "No Questions Asked: How Football Joined the Cryptocon." Um, I'm not saying anything to you, Kieran, that I didn't say to Martin. It's a fantastic book, but it left me with a feeling uh, of anger and depression. <laughs> Martin that's nice it was last nice. we start an interview with some chuckling going on already if only if only I could tell you at home why we're chuckling, but it's it's Kieran's fault he's being rude again um <laughs> we have as I say Martin Calladine joining us uh, this morning to talk about his fantastic book no questions asked how football uh, joined the cryptocon it's um well, it's a fantastic book for me because i've always i've been again crypto from the start pretty much as has, uh, Kieran, if you're one of those crypto disciples, it's neither the book nor the interview for you. So just spoiler alert. Martin, thank you for joining us. As I say, before we get into this terrible, terrible story, can we just ask you for a little bit about you and your, your background? Sure. Well,
2: I'm. Uh, but first of all, by the way, thanks for inviting me on. It's, it's a rare pleasure to be on a show that's genuinely my favorite podcast. Um, oh, so wow. I've been <laughs> really I've been writing about football for about 10 years, uh, primarily the kind of business of sport, ethics and how it operates. And over time, I've come to do uh, more about the financial side. And I just kind of came across crypto in about 2019. And the last three or four years have just vanished uh, looking into that and writing about it.
0: I have to say, Martin, we can see each other now on this new platform we record on. For somebody who has spent much of his career delving into the murky business of football, you look much younger and less bitter than I was imagining. I was, I was expecting someone to look a little bit like Kieran and I. But as you wrote and researched this book, Martin, were you surprised by the actual scale of the problem, the actual scale of the involvement of crypto in football, or did you write the book because you already knew how big the problem was?
2: Well, I think I'd been writing about it for, you know, three or four years, watching the whole thing absolutely explode and kind of tracking down some really terrible, disgraceful partnerships. And about the end of 2022, there was kind of a big crypto crash, and it seemed like a good time to take stock. And I thought, well, OK, maybe there is a book in this, but I'm writing it thinking this is kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's writing a history of a rather disgraceful episode in football. Um, But even as I began writing it, then, although most NFTs and crypto coins have completely crashed, Bitcoin started to pick up and grow and grow again. And so it seemed to me as I was writing, actually, it's more a kind of a a warning alarm to say that what happened then could very easily happen again now. That there's been no significant change in the way that crypto is regulated or operates. And if clubs are starting to get back into it, as we've seen recently with some signings in the Premier League, then we ought to be really worried again that people could end up losing an enormous amount of money again to people, some of whom are almost certainly criminal and which football clubs should have known about.
0: <laughs> the book is remarkably funny, I have to say, considering um, it's also one of the most depressing books I've ever read in my life. It's, it's it, I, I was furious and depressed at the end of it. I, I was chuntering for two days to the extent that Ali eventually went, I wish you hadn't read that bloody thing. Because I was literally like, Ali, have you seen what Barnsley did? This is shocking. But to, to set the tone for this conversation, <laughs> and this did make me laugh, tell us about the most honest bit of small print you've ever read.
2: Yes, so he, I think the, it's, it's hard to overstate the appalling attitudes of some of the companies that football did business with. It's just extraordinary. You know, they, you know, It's absolutely standard in crypto to have terms and conditions that say, in effect, if anything goes wrong through our negligence, in some cases there are some crypto ones that say through things that we did wrong, knowing that it would cost you money, you can't touch us. But the, the best, I think, is is the the Barnsley one, um, the last clause of Hex's T's and C's, and that was a company that for about a fortnight was Barnsley's front of shirt sponsor, and, and it reads, and I'll, I'll just check this on. If you've read down this far, congratulations. You'll notice that the theme of all of the above text is that you should have absolutely no expectations of any sort regarding anything. And if anything goes wrong, you shouldn't look for address anywhere and you should receive none. So, you know, in other words, go F yourself.
0: It, it's just a, it's almost a sheer hootspur that bit where they go if you've read down this far. Because basically that joke is for Kieran, because Kieran would be the only person in the world who would actually have read down that far. But you, there's there's almost part of you because I'm not a Barsley fan. You almost go, I, I, I can't have. A, I almost appreciate that that blatant if, murdering <laughs> on criminal honesty. But that's the thing with all club when when Palace joined up with with socios. And to their credit, said this huge, long, four-page thing about what socials. But, but that ended with you know, don't don't get too carried away with with trading these things. Because again, this is great—you could lose your house. And so it's like it starts. They start off selling you these things as a little bit of fun. You know what? What, what would Wilf Zahar's favorite pie be? You can vote on this, and then it, that goes on to you could lose your house. I, I, I see. I've got. I've had to think long and hard about how to structure this interview, Martin, because I've got, I had so many questions. But I, I thought perhaps a better way in would be to ask you about three clubs in particular. L- let's face it, you're not going to be welcome back in the boardrooms of most clubs in English football. But I thought if we looked at three clubs, not in too much detail, because I want people sure. to read your book and, and because we we need to keep this below an hour. But I thought if we looked at three clubs in particular, that would give it an indication of the scale of the problem and the different types of problem. And the first is a story that we covered in quite some detail, and that's Manchester City.
2: Yes, um, say so I'm sure some of your listeners will remember this, but um, this was the one that made me feel like there's there's really something bigger going on here, which is that Manchester City announced a partnership with a company called Three Key, who they said were their new DeFi partners in Germany and and uh, South Korea. And they put out a press release. And at, at that point, I got so cynical about these companies. That every time press release came out, I'd start to Google the founders. I'd look to see what their website looked like. And they had this really dubious website. There was no details about them at all. No phone number, no company number, no indication of where they were based. And I Googled the names of, of the people on the press release, and none of them had any digital footprints. So it's kind of immediately apparent, with literally just five minutes of research, that something was not right here. And um, I, I contacted Man City. And I said, you know, who are these people? And they said, kind of quite surprisingly, rather than giving me all that information, which, you know, they should have as a matter of course, they said, Well, we'll we'll send you a letter from them, which which they sent me, a letter that basically reiterated everything that was in there. And I said, Well, this tells me nothing. You know, they claim to be based in the Seychelles, but they aren't, there's no company there. So they said, Well, okay, we'll, we'll give you their email address. And then I had a, a brief conversation with someone who's I had newest knew his name, supposedly, but nothing else. And after 48 hours, they were unable to provide any further information to prove that they exist at all. So I said to Man City, it seems to me this company isn't legit. And they said, OK. And they pulled the plug on this, the sponsorship. And so, you know, one of the best run football clubs in the whole world has signed a deal with a company that literally doesn't exist. And um, they you know, at that point, usually the kind of the, the trail goes cold. The website gets taken down. The people, if they're scammers, move on. But then I got contacted by someone who said, well, actually, I know who these people are. They're the new kind of face of a role in cryptocurrency fraud that we reckon now might be worth about four billion pounds. So, you know, Man City signed up a deal having done no due diligence at all. um, The kind of thing that, you know, even if you worked in an estate agency, you have to at least know who you're doing business with, potentially with anti-money laundering implications. And they signed off on this. And it's only the fact that myself and other people looked into it and alerted them to the fact that these people were clearly not legit, that they you know, avoided dragging Man City fans into a criminal enterprise that could have cost them huge amounts of money. And when that happens at a club like Manchester City, then you think, OK, this is a, a systemic problem, not just merely one oversight by somebody.
0: But, but it's just one example of a theme that appears during the book over and over again, that so many of the cryptocurrencies or the crypto firms that get involved with football clubs are another iteration of a company that have been involved unsuccessfully or fraudulently with a club before
2: yeah absolutely i mean you could be doing business with, with with in some cases overt criminals um or people with long histories of business failure and you just wouldn't know it if clubs don't do their due diligence um, west ham did a, a deal with a company called uh, P- uh peak Defi. And if you Google the name of their CEO, the first results you get are allegations of fraud against him and allegations of involvement in an enormous number of previous uh, pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes. And when I put that to peak, they said, oh yeah, he, he was part of those, but he he was like an just an independent contractor. He was a victim of fraud. And the reason we've set up our company is so that no one else will get defrauded again by this kind of organization. And <laughs> I, obviously West Ham found that more reassuring than I did, but you know, again, it, Literally, what what was the commercial team doing? What what what? How much research did they do into this organization before they signed the deal? Who knows?
0: I'm glad that we've clarified it's pronounced Defi, because I've been throwing the word Defi around. I mean, tonight is the first night. It's, it's Tuesday. It's it's Palace Sheffield United tonight. It's the first home game since I read the book. So I would have been sitting in the pub, just throwing these terms around, until eventually everybody in the pub would have done what Ali did and said, "Will you stop going on about in Barnsley?" <laughs> uh, Kieran, I want to bring Kieran in on the the Man City story because Kieran raised flags with, with uh, about this story when it was announced, when the partnership was announced, because Kieran had done, I, I, I want to say the deep journalism that you did, but you Googled something essentially. But Kieran, at the time, you said, I mean, it indicates there's no other word for it than greed, when one of the richest, and as Martin said, best-run clubs in the world, willingly got into bed with a non-existent company in order to make what they thought was quick and easy money. And that at the time, Kieran, that was... I mean, to be fair, as we'll discover, they weren't the only club that were doing it, but it was astonishing that a club of that size and that you know, world renown was so easily conned.
1: Well, we've used this phrase on the show regularly, blinded by the cheque. And when somebody offers you money for effectively doing nothing or next to nothing, apart from sitting, setting your badge or sending a couple of players across to, to line up alongside a product or service or a chief executive, you tend to take it. Um, the The commercial departments at clubs, they are under pressure. Even a club as successful as Manchester City And uh, it would have been seen as an easy win. But as as Martin's proven, you you only have to do a little bit of basic Googling and then checking up on LinkedIn and then trying to find. We can all find ourselves on the Internet. And if you can't, uh, those people, uh, you know, take a look at Sheikh Jassim uh, at Manchester United. He came from nowhere and disappeared. Chris Kirchner at Derby County, who's now potentially looking at 30 or 40 years inside his digital footprint came from nowhere, zoomed up, and then disappeared again. Um, these these are common themes and common flags. And you would think that there would be somebody at a you know, middle or senior level at a club who would say that, you know, I'm the compliance officer here, and you know, it's my responsibility to check up on things. But clubs don't seem to be wanting to go down that route.
0: Mm. This next club, Martin, I, I have a soft spot for. So I was very disappointed to read about Birmingham City. Tell us what happened there.
2: Yeah, that that's one of the ones that although the, the, the level of the financial size of it was quite small is probably the one that shocked me most because I think it's the one example. Uh, well, one or two, but definitely one where I have it in writing. The club was aware that the scheme was not sound and carried on promoting it. And essentially, and this is, I should say, under the last ownership, so no reflection on the current owners, but um, they announced in like kind of end of 2022, I think it was that they were, sorry, 2021, that they were going to go into the metaverse. They were going to be the first football league club to have a metaverse uh, um, kind of presence, which basically means, you know, kind of 3D interactive um, walk through stadium, buying merch online, interacting with other fans and players, maybe watching the game. And and they announced they were going to do everything, which no one was doing at the time and which still no one is doing now. And the way they were going to do it was through a a small company, uh, which was uh, only about six months old and which was owned by a 21-year-old guy with no business history. and that they would do this all for them, even though that they'd previously just been involved in kind of e-sports, and they'd launched their own cryptocurrency. And again, first thing you do, you go online and you Google these guys, and the other shareholder and owner of related businesses had previously had a company closed down by the insolvency service, who'd accused it of acting fraudulently. Um, And the person who was uh, promoting them was one of these classic kind of Uh, crypto hucksters, he was a guy, this strange guy called himself the hedge fund hippie who appears in like a straw hat um, somewhere in tropical climes, often in the swimming pool, like some kind of tele evangelist screaming at you that, you know, we're going to the moon, we're going to the moon. And then, and this is who Birmingham said, okay, this is a trustworthy long-term business who are going to create our metaverse presence. And they almost immediately ran into trouble. The cryptocurrency that they issued had completely crashed. And essentially, I spoke to somebody who who lo- who's a local in the area and he provides proper three d mapping services for companies and He'd contacted Birmingham and said oh do you need do you need help doing this for St Andrews?" and they said, "Oh no, we've already got this in hand because we've got this partnership and then anyway, a few months later they come back to him and said, "Oh actually, we do need someone to do this. Can you come and t- get in for do this for us so they indicated that they knew that their service provider couldn't deliver what it had promised what they were telling people whilst at the same time the club was continuing to promote the crypto of this club uh this company and a few weeks later the company went under it was struck off last week and anything you invested in it is completely worthless and so you know the same people who signed this deal and were promoting it also were aware at least for a period of time that this club that this was not a sound business and yet still they went on with it and I find that absolutely staggering. And it it doesn't seem to have caused any self-reflection around football at all, that this kind of thing should be going on. But I'd be amazed if it was the only time it happened in crypto.
0: I'm actually quite enjoying the look of shock and horror on Kieran's face as he listens to what you're telling us, Martin. So Birmingham carried on promoting that product or or not giving warnings about that product, knowing full well that some of their own fans could be investing in it and losing money while that was happening, essentially. Correct. And, and the terrible irony of this whole Birmingham metaverse world was that it would, it would only be in the metaverse that you could walk around the whole ground because a third of it was closed down at the time anyway because it was falling down, which is just, again, you, <laughs> you elaborate on that very well. in the, But the, the, the final club I'd like to talk about before we talk about some more general issues arising is a club that eventually for a time was run by crypto, and that's, that's Crawley Town.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure again that your uh, your listeners will be familiar w- with the Wagmi story, which is that they you know, announced themselves in the Washington Post that they were going to uh, use crypto to take a football club into the Premiership, um, and initially they they linked themselves seemingly with was it Bradford I think, and and that Bradford, that went yeah, nowhere. Yeah. And um, I spoke to some Crawley fans because the first season was, of course, pretty disastrous, and they were telling me they were kind of laughing at what a dumb idea this was. Some NFT guys would come in and take over a football club, and then a few days later, they're the club that gets taken over. And you have this situation where you have a, a you know a small number of people representing a large collective of people, who some of whom are entirely anonymous because they're owned overseas through a US corporation. It's not clear who owns what percentage. And because they're a distributed organization, uh, nobody has more than 10% of the club. So there's no one person at the club, sorry, in the ownership group, who has had to take and pass the owners and directors test. So you have a situation where, um, you know, what's supposed to, you know, now the way clubs are running, it's supposed to be clear who's in charge, who the boss is, you can go to them. And actually, no one knows. Um, you know, no one owns more than five percent, and the people at front it, who, by the way, uh, when you speak to them, are, are extremely pleasant and thoughtful, um, but obviously, at least at the beginning, enormously out of their depth. And their their plan was to, you know, fund the club using NFTs. They sold five million pounds worth of those, give or take, in you know, within a few months of taking over, which is, you know, an, an extraordinary achievement. I, I predicted entirely wrongly that it would flop, and it didn't. But Subsequently, post the crypto crash, the investment is worth next to nothing like all NFTs are. And so while they raised a lot of money and they think they can keep the club running for a period of time, uh, the question is, will they ever be able to raise funds that way again if they need to? Um, meanwhile, the fans you know, feel completely disenchanted. Um, There's a disastrous first season and they had, you know, at least initially, a whole range of people coming in who had no interest in football at all or no knowledge of it, full of their wild, crazy crypto ideas and just feeling totally alienated from their own club. So um, the club didn't go down in the end and is actually having a reasonable season now. So it may be that the guys are, are learning as, as they go. But it, it's, it was an extraordinary example of how crypto can allow people to hide behind um, corporate structures, uh, and it actually, rather than as it's always pitched as being ultimate transparency and a new way of kind of owning things, actually leave people even further removed from their, you know, that their, their treasured clubs than they ever were.
0: Uh, Wagme is an acronym, isn't it? Remind me what it stands for. Uh, we're all going to make
2: it, which is like a, a crypto <laughs> kind of like um, uh, injunction to you know be proud and hold on, and, and everyone's going to succeed, and, and indeed subsequently um, and we say you know, most most uh, nfts crashed to absolutely zero and in fact the vast majority of people did not make it
1: hi i'm steve Lemack and every week i'm joined by music allies head of insights stuart dredge on the price of music the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry
0: See, the irony is of these Americans coming in to to take over Crawley is that in America, that kind of ownership, apart from the Green Bay Packers, I believe, you can't have a consortium owning a sports club. Certainly in the NFL, somebody has to have at least 30% of the ownership of the club. And yet they come in, and as you say, whether it's a deliberate attempt to uh, bypass a fit and proper person's test because no one owns more than 10% of the club, you don't know, but the the thing that I found disturbing about the Crawley story is that at the start the way they sell it you think well actually this this is this is all right actually if I was a Crawley Town fan these guys are coming in promising money promising fans a say in the way that the club is actually run it's not just as at Palace when you can vote on Wilf Zaha's favorite pie if you buy an NFT at Crawley they're saying you can vote on actual team decisions but then of course the Crawley fans find out that the people doing that are the people all over the world who have just bought the crypto and have no interest in the club, as you say.
2: Yeah, and of course with all of this, there's nothing legally enforceable. You get to vote when crypto people want you to vote on the subjects they want you to vote about, and they reserve the right at all times to disregard those. And so you know, what's being pitched often as a new way for people to own stuff is, is really a, a new way to crowdfund the ownership of those things for certain individuals. You know, as I said in, in the book, that there's not really any evidence that any of these so-called DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations, have given any thought what it actually means to own and run a community asset. You know, you've got all these football clubs like Wimbledon or, or, or Newport where people could go and see the boring, hard, tedious work that it takes to keep a community club fan-owned. But no one's done that. They just think, oh, we'll sell the NFTs. It'll take care of itself.
0: Is it as simple, as one of your sources said basically saying don't don't worry about it too much it's you know it's simply that football doesn't understand crypto and crypto doesn't understand football is it as simple as that or was there something more malevolent going on was there a deliberate attempt by various groups to target football clubs um, to make money for them from these elaborate and often illegal scams
2: oh absolutely there's there's no question in my mind yeah we have this People are always excited about talking up the potential of crypto. But 15 years on, the only kind of three things that it's really been established as being used for is kind of speculation, money laundering and fraud. And there's unmistakable evidence that a number of ones only I talk about Fulham in in there uh, in the book, which is they found themselves with a a partner called um, Titan Capital Markets, which was able to establish fairly quickly was a a global pyramid scheme using um, crypto stable coins to rob people all across um, West Africa and Southeast Asia. And that that's, I think, part of the story with crypto is that why we kind of laughed at it and said, oh, look at these idiots. You know, people bought a monkey picture and they've lost all their money. But, you know, the real story, I think, is that crypto used football, particularly the Premier League, as a global megaphone, you know, a billboard to reach people all around the world in places where people are suffering great financial hardship, where even a few dollars a day, a few pounds made on selling a fan token or or a little bit of appreciation on their NFT could be life changing, where they have you know, not necessarily even a bank account. And these so you had a situation where you know Titan Capital Markets, even when Fulham found out that they were dubious and held on for a few weeks before finally cutting ties months later in church halls in in ghana in rented offices in thailand and hong kong you had people doing their pitch and the first slide of the pitch deck is is the picture of the the ceo who you know, still don't know his name he's a he's a running under a false identity standing next to a uh, standing in, in, in craven cottage surrounded by cutouts of F- Fulham players and and that's the kind of the long tail of it is you, 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 take, you sign this stuff up after 15 minutes of looking into it and it goes out into the world and in some cases it's unquestionably been used to rob some of the poorest people in the world
0: I, I think it was a, a, an athletic journalist, uh, a journalist at the athletic rather than an athletic journalist, although you look quite athletic yourself Martin I have to say, thank you very much uh, who, who pointed out that several weeks into the Palace uh, socio scheme something like, because the uptake at Palace was incredibly low, and I know both the club and Socios were anxious to look into the reasons why that was. But it it turned out that most of that uptake was in Turkey, that these tokens were being traded and dealt with in Turkey. Um, But as as you point out, part of the reason that there hasn't been as much fuss as there should be is that most of the losses have been borne by Poor people around the world, because in, you know there will be English football fans who may have lost a couple of hundred quid, but the, the, you know it doesn't seem as though people here have lost their houses. It doesn't seem as though too much damage has, has been done, but around the world, as you point out in the book, incredible damage has been done to the infrastructure of of some places that are suffering some terrible poverty. Yeah,
2: absolutely and, and the the athletic journalist was Joey Derso, who's been relentlessly brilliant on, on covering crypto. But yes, he went and spoke to a, a taxi driver in Turkey who'd lost three thousand dollars, which was you know, his life savings. And particularly in places like Turkey and Brazil, which had combine you know difficult economic circumstances, high inflation, weak currency, and football mania, there is no question that some crypto firms, well, I won't say that they deliberately, it appears to me that they were definitely very focused on signing uh, clubs in those areas, signing players in those areas and targeting their sales there. And yeah, I can't remember the exact figure, but Joey showed an enormous number of, of Socios tokens were bought in Turkey. Um, and of course, a lot of those people have, have lost a lot of money. One, one of the things I, I'd, I'd mention is um, the Squidcoin scam which you know was very famous very briefly, which was some people that did a, a rug pull where they, they sell something and run off with all the money, um, based on the, the, the Squid Game T V show. And that earned about three million dollars. But you know, at the same time that was going on, there was a, a scam called MTI, which, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners will have never heard of. And that cost investors across southern Africa, and particularly in South Africa, $1.7 billion. So it's 500 times the size of the scam. Now, you all heard about Squidcoin because that was exciting and focused largely on US and Western people and had some IP that was sexy. But a a scandal involving some of the poorest people in the global south, um, which was, let's say, 500 times larger, didn't make the papers here. That was one of the three largest crypto scams in 20. 21. One of the others was the was the three key role in crypto scam, and that just doesn't come onto our our radars at all. And that's not in that case that that was associated with football, but um, football has been completely unwilling to ask itself the question: not just do we need to um, properly look into these partners, but what responsibility do we take when things go wrong, and what are we going to do as now when crypto is coming back to assure that this doesn't happen again? You know, and the answer. So far as I can tell, they ain't going to do nothing about it. And buyer beware, and who cares if people around the world? Just as with illegal Asian-facing bookmakers, you know they pay us the money here, but the damage takes place abroad, and nothing's mm. going to happen.
0: And, and talking of responsibility, football clubs here, some of them weren't even responsible enough to learn lessons from what had happened at other clubs. So you talk about what happened with Hex at Barnsley. But that didn't stop Dorking Wanderers happily being endorsed and, and sponsored by Hex just a few months later.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the time, they put out a, a launch video um, where the owner declared, in so many words, that this was the brand new thing and was going to be huge, even at a time when Hex's value had absolutely collapsed. And I think the thing, there's two things worth noting about Hex is that if you spend 10 minutes reading about it, you'll either conclude that it sounds really dodgy or that you don't understand it at all and you probably shouldn't be investing in it. And the second bit is that shortly after Dorking endorsed them, they're now, I think, the front of shirt sponsor for Dorking, yeah. is that yeah. the uh, the US SEC, so the financial regulator, uh, charged the founder with an enormous fraud, they say to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, and suspect that as much as a billion dollars may have gone into that scheme, most of which has been completely wiped out and will never come back. So it, even you know that, that sponsorship remains in place Today and it's only dorking though know, they are a small organization but there are other companies that remain you know in good standing with, with football clubs who i think if you looked at them today there's no way you would sign up with them you know just just a couple of weeks ago chelsea have signed up with uh bing which is a, a cryptocurrency exchange based in singapore um there's no like, suggestion that they've done anything legal as such but this is a crypto exchange that doesn't operate in the uk and doesn't operate in the us quite coincidentally where Regulatory oversight might be greater, but does operate in Russia and quite enthusiastically so. Um, and that apparently isn't problematic. The government said it's going to take no action about it and the Premier League said it's going to take no action. Well,
0: the Hex scheme was you know, very well published. What was the, the actual basis of what the what Hex scheme entailed?
2: Well, the headline claim is that you would get 40 percent um, returns a year. Um Which sounds phenomenal, of course, you know if you put in hundred pounds and get one hundred and forty at the end of the year at a time when you know interest rates were about two percent in the u k you're laughing, but of course that's not possible. that isn't what it was. What actually is that you would buy hex crypto, and at the end of the year, you would automatically be issued with um some additional crypto because they the, the the scheme automatically produce uh, adds an inflationary amount in, and then for all the people that have pulled out they lose their crypto. All the rest that's rounded up is given back to you. So you get about 40% more crypto at the end of the year than you had when you invested. Whether you've actually got 40% interest depends on whether the price of the the crypto has gone up or down in that period. And of course, the answer is that unless you got in right at the beginning, it's gone down. And so you have technically got 40% interest, but not 40% Forty percent interest in the way that anybody looking at it would understand, and certainly not in a way that a regulated financial organisation in the UK would ever be allowed to claim in any of its marketing literature.
0: See, you mentioned right at the beginning there. Right, I think it's it's only fair, and I hate doing this to be perfectly honest, but every now and again, producer guy will say to us, "You need to reflect. There are other sides to the story." Some people who did get in at the beginning did make a lot of money. It, it, it was possible for some people legitimately to make a lot of money from crypto early on if they got in early and sold early, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, that, that's how pyramid schemes work. Um, you know, the, it, it is entirely possible. Yeah, we all. I mean, part of what fueled, I think, the crypto boom you know, it arrived around the time of, of COVID when people were at home, they, had, they were bored, they had more money because of furlough and there was no football on the telly, is that crypto was peaking. And everybody knew you know, a friend of a friend who'd made a couple of hundred grand on Bitcoin. It was, it was a really common story. Um, and so, yes, it is perfectly true. Not everyone got wiped out. Of course not. Um, but if you went into it um, with the general level of knowledge that most people had at that time, you couldn't possibly have predicted when the right time to sell was and how you could reliably make money. Not, it's not in the same way that any other investment where you know, it's pretty clear what and when you're going to get a return on. And so you know the, the government, uh, uh, sorry, a, a parliamentary inquiry recently described it as much more like gambling. And I think that's way too kind because at least with gambling, you often have a vague idea of what the odds were. Um, generally speaking, the people who made money were were not just people who got in early, but people who were involved in setting up those ones or people who used crypto for fraud. Obviously, not all crypto is fraudulent and some of it does provide some kind of service which has some utility. Some people like socios voting. Some people like so Rare, and um, with the kind of the, the fantasy football element. But the general idea that underpinned crypto, that it was a new way of making money and that it was going to transform society at all levels has proved to be entirely false. Um, and I think it would, it would people in, in working in that sphere would do well to recognize that rather than just simply say, oh, hang on, Bitcoin's soaring again.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the fact that some people like it, the option to vote, the option to play so rare, whatever fantasy football that. Because my next question was, were or are any football crypto schemes set up in good faith for benevolent reasons? Or were there, were all of them, every single one of them set up in order to make money quickly for either the club or the crypto company? <laughs> um I would hate to to
2: libel at stroke every single person working in crypto. But what I would say is if you look at um, Socios, for example, you know, the the headline pitch to, to fans, which is you, know, you can have a say in your club, which I think in most people, even if it's on sort a of fairly unimportant thing, you know, like you know, what music will we play when we run out to? That's actually fine, right? If you're a season ticket holder and you get an email saying sign here and you can have a vote on that, I think you'd do that. But the question they have to answer, and they can't really produce a good answer is, why do we have to use the blockchain for this? Why do I have to buy socios cryptocurrency first and transfer it? Why does the, the price move up and down? Why isn't it a set price? Why can anyone from, who supports any club buy as many tokens in as many clubs as they want to? Why is there a trading market built off the back of this? And why is the pitch to clubs that you get a 50% stake of all of the sales? Yeah, I find it very hard to interpret that anything other than a, a deliberately constructed market for crypto designed to boost the value of the underlying crypto and make everyone involved wealthy. And you might think that's fine, but you could do all of that, any of the actual end user benefits of being able to vote on things and have a say and stuff and get additional benefits. You can do that all for free with existing technology that doesn't require any kind of financial speculation. It doesn't require to, fans to be exposed to pump and dump schemes and crypto speculation. So yeah, I'm sure some people genuinely did it in good faith because some people really did believe, probably wrongly, that this was a, good, a life-changing technology on the scale of of the internet. But I think they've mostly been proven wrong. Obviously, as I said, a significant number of people went into it with their eyes open that this was an opportunity to make a huge amount of money in a short period of time.
0: Uh, Kieran, I want to bring you back here, here on this because one, one of the things that Martin's book does so well is to explain to people like me, what some of the concepts are that we've thrown about with gay abandon on the pod for the last four years, uh, the blockchain in particular. Kieran, you never told me that blockchain is essentially a massive glorified spreadsheet. Because I, I would have thought you'd be all over that, Kieran. A massive glorified spreadsheet, which is essentially what it is, because I, 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 it's one of those things that you, you go, oh, I'm an intelligent, I hear people talk about blockchain, I know what that is. Turns out I had no real clue what blockchain was or meant the
1: blockchain is is a, in theory absolutely great it's a it's a digital register so you know instead of me keeping in uh, you know my mot as a piece of paper i've now got it from a digital source it can be verified it be, can be confirmed um and from that point of view it's really good and in some industries you know i, I when i uh, attended the uh, all parli- all party parliamentary committee um, we had people from the the entertainment industry, from the arts industry, saying, you, know, "You might have sold a painting to somebody, and you've sold it via the blockchain, and you're entitled to twenty percent when that's sold on." Well, here we've got a a paper trail, or we, we've got a digital trail as to those transactions that ensures that you get your twenty percent, um, and so on. But the value is is very much in the in the receipt rather than the the product when it comes to non-fungible tokens and fan tokens and, and i've will temper uh, the analogy which which i use uh, in the live shows um you you can have one of these tokens and because it is digital, it can be copied. So therefore, anybody else can copy it. Anybody else can use it as their avatar. Anybody else can print it and stick it up on the wall if they so wish. Um, and and it is the equivalent of of me saying that that anybody can sleep with my wife, but so long as I've got the wedding certificate, everything is fine because that's what they're effectively doing. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I think the uh,
0: the issues uh, arise. Uh, anybody who's been to one of our live shows will know that you really did temper the hell out of that analogy. You—that's you, <laughs> one of the reasons I urge people to come and see our live shows to hear how how tempered that analogy actually was. Martin, how difficult was it to get anyone at a club to talk to you on record about these issues? And on the other side of that, how difficult was it to get any of what you can only describe as crypto disciples? to admit to you that it could possibly be open to exploitation?
2: Not as difficult as you might have thought. I, I spoke to some people at clubs, um, some of whom were, were really quite troubled at what had gone on, but were keen to stress that, as Kieran said, a lot of them are under enormous amounts of pressure. Um, and you know, he, he said to me, if you, if, you have, you know, if you don't have a front shirt sponsor, you're going to get fired. It's as simple as that. Um, you ha- sometimes you have very little leeway um, about who you can accept he said he was in a couple of them were in, in fortune positions where their owners said, you don't have to touch this stuff and you can just say. get rid of But many of them were talked about it in the sense of it was like a, the Wild West that just stuff is going on. You'd get a phone call. People would just call you up saying, oh, we, we, we're a crypto company. You've never heard of us. We've got X amount of money to spend. And sometimes it would be twice or three times what even a gambling company would pay. And then you'd say, well, what can you do for us with that? huge amounts of money for really small stuff. Very hard to say no to if you're, in effect, a salesman on with targets to hit. And on the other side, of it, I spoke to people at, at crypto companies, some of whom go, told hair-raising stories about you know knowingly um, stringing along uh, people they were sponsoring to try and avoid paying them, being unsure even where the money that they were paying was coming from, a terrible lack of opacity. Um, the kind of thing that you would see, you see in kind of, uh, shows about you know Silicon Valley, startups and tech stuff, but just absolutely on steroids. Because at that period of time, it was just this gold rush. Huge amounts of money were being made by some people. And just people stopped asking questions. Their brains were just switched off because everyone for, for 15 minutes swallowed the idea that it could make us all rich.
0: And one of those crypto disciples, oddly, is Michael Owen. And we've talked a lot uh, in the pod. I, I mean, how anyone could sit through a 15-minute session for Michael Owen about anything, let alone about buying crypto, is beyond me. But we've spoken a lot on the pod about the likes of Michael Owen and John Terry and other high-profile players endorsing crypto products. What's your view on that? Because in my mind, I don't see that that's any different, for example, to Peter Crouch or Mike Dean, which is my current bugbear, endorsing gambling companies. I was walked up an escalator at a London tube station yesterday and a whole... Wall was an electronic version of Mike Dean doing wacky things with a yellow card endorsing uh, everyone's favourite humorous bookmaker. So it it seems to me that the likes of John Terry so heavily endorsing these products isn't that much different to to taking the gambling coin, is it?
2: Well, I, I I entirely agree. I think it's it's quite interesting what it tells us about how the reputation of players relative to clubs is moving because you know the John Terry ferrari i think it's largely because he's a figure of, of fun and people like to hate him and and so you know his his scheme for cartoon baby monkeys crashes and we all have a laugh about it but you know there were a lot of other much more beloved and respectable footballers like andy robertson who who endorsed nfts and those went nowhere and you know, in some cases the players just quietly deleted them and moved on we know for sure that a number of players endorsed things simply because their agent has access to their phone and they're just, they'll literally, someone will get in touch and say, we'll give you 10 grand to put out something on Instagram about this. But I think beyond that, we've seen recently that even though um, Binance, the, the US, uh, sorry, US, the, um, the the giant crypto exchange, which is in trouble in the US, it paid a $4 billion fine last month for knowingly avoiding anti-money laundering regulations, resulting in a number of terrorist organizations being able to use it. And their CEO is currently awaiting sentencing in relation to this. And Ronaldo has re-upped his deal with them. Uh, Messi has a numerous crypto sponsorships. And even though Messi you know, is based in the US and therefore by potentially um, subject to the, the kind of the, uh, the civil lawsuits that you get there, there, certain, there seem to be some players who, while you'd like to think they would take any kind of resp- care and, and thought about what they endorse, seem to be willing to carry on, even though it's evident that a number of these big organisations are, if not actually fraudulent, then certainly disreputable. And they seem to have guessed perhaps correctly that fans maybe don't care or a large number of fans outside of certain clubs don't hold them to account at all. And perhaps that's changed or perhaps it was always the case and we just never noticed. But, you know, I think there's no question that clubs have responsibility. I would like to think that, fa- that um, famous players do, but it seems apparent to me that many people don't, aren't bothered about that
0: at all. Uh, and of course, Messi was happy to endorse crypto, but less happy to be paid in it.
2: Mm. Yes, yes. He he was he he was the face of, of the Socios's launch with um PSG, which you know cost a number of investors a lot of money when there was clear evidence of price manipulation by investors. Not linked, I should say, to Socios, but people just using that that platform. And they they PR'd it on the back of the fact that he was getting he was the first player to be paid in part in cryptocurrency. But that was the period of time when, you know, we were just less skeptical. No one said to him how much has he been paid what percentage what's it worth how long does he have to hold it for um you know was it even more than one token's worth and i suspect it probably wasn't much because a lot of players at his level are are very savvy businessmen or employ very savvy businessmen and they will have made damn sure they cashed out even as the people who bought into it on the back of it may end up holding the bag
0: martin for, for a lot of people like me for whom numbers and business are an alien minefield a year or so ago, if you mentioned crypto to me, my initial thought would be Bitcoin because that's "Are like, oh, you just associate every Bitcoin crypto? They're all the same thing. They're clearly not." I I notice it. Bitcoin doesn't feature very much in the book. Is that because it is considered a more reputable product, so to speak, or it represents the more secure end of the crypto world?
2: Yeah, I, I think in part because. So just just to back up a little bit. The, the, the notional founder of Bitcoin is somebody who we don't know. It's an anonymous person that hasn't accessed the store of Bitcoin that was allocated to him uh, in many, many years. And it was the first cryptocurrency, and it was designed purposely to replace or at least be an adjunct to existing paper money. And so even though it hasn't delivered what it said, it, which, you know, it hasn't banked the unbanked, it isn't something you ever use in transactions and shops, it was set up in an idealistic way and because it was the first and most famous, it um, it's always produced the best returns. And it is one of the few that will almost certainly survive any U.S. enforcement because it wasn't developed as a cash in on the back of itself. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't something that would sponsor. It's not an organisation that will sponsor any um, football club. It was prim- one of the major things that um, people would use exchanges for. But it's even when it went to, you know, it crashed, it didn't go to zero and it has kind of crept back up. And for the first time, it seems to be that money is moving into Bitcoin, I suspect, and not going into any of the other cryptocurrencies. So originally, Bitcoin was the bellwether. It moved and, all, and if it went down, everything went down. If it went up, everything went up with it. Now everything has crashed, but crypto, uh, Bitcoin has, cashed, has crept back up. So I think that the true believers have got their money in Bitcoin and see that as the, the last redoubt, the one genuine use of crypto. Um, and that's why it's not in the book so much, because although you, people will have lost a lot of money if they speculated on Bitcoin, according to when they sold it, it, it wasn't set up as a purposely fraudulent scheme.
0: Hmm. As I mentioned right at the start of the interview, Martin, my, <laughs> I managed to whittle my initial long list of questions down to around 15. Uh, and We're down to the last two of those. Y- you mention in the book uh, Italian football. It crops up quite a lot with um, what happened with cryptocurrency shirt sponsors there. You talk about US sport quite a lot. But it's was this uh, a peculiarly English football obsession or were Scottish clubs, Belgian clubs, Swedish clubs... Also looking for the golden goose around the, that that period we're talking about as the twenties came to an end.
2: I think it's almost in direct proportion. Sorry, I think it's almost in direct proportion to how famous those uh, those leagues are and the platform they provide on a global basis. So certainly smaller clubs around uh, the UK um, will have received offers. All around Europe, you will find crypto endorsements and sponsorships. But the vastly the bigger ones were, you know, like um, so you got Socios with their support of, of, of Barcelona, you know, Real Madrid, and then you, you had Inter, which had a huge deal. I think it was 40 million euros a year with um, uh, Digibits, which they didn't get a penny from. Number of those are signed up. Of those clubs are signed up with fan tokens. So it was everywhere, and particularly in the US, but it was primarily in places that would have large global appeal or in places where there was an existing market where people might invest in it. So, yeah, it wasn't it was it wasn't distributed equally. I think, like I say, almost certainly it was purposeful targeting of the kind of the PR options that football clubs provided or that leagues provided.
0: And finally, Martin, and you've sort of hinted at the answer to this question. I'd be interested in two things is the crypto boom over? Is that sort of mad two years that we've just been through ever to be repeated? And do you think that people who run football clubs in England, uh, hopefully some of them are region, but do you think they've had their fingers burned now? Do you think they are more wary of signing these huge crypto deals? Or do you think they simply will do, as you say, if somebody comes along and waves a check at a, a stressed marketing director, he will just take it and without Googling... <laughs> as the people at Man City did.
2: Oh, I would love to think that we've we've all learned our lessons. Um but you know you, you look at Chelsea, they've just signed a, I think it's 17 million pound shirt sponsorship with with Bing X. And that's the the club that a few years ago signed a £30 million deal with a shirt sponsor um, and then, from what I can tell, didn't get paid at all. Um, there was a company called Whalefin who, um, as part of kind of the, the crypto collapse, there was huge cost-cutting there. You know, Tottenham have just signed up with an NFTs thing where it's like um, – it's a you buy NFTs of the pitch and then the idea is there'll be a game whereby where big events happen in certain squares of the pitch if you open if you own that square you will then get some money and it's the price the NFTs are hundreds of pounds and it's completely bogus it's a new company it's not a fraud but it's going to end with anyone who buys it losing money and so have they learned their lesson you know there's certainly people I think in football who are more skeptical about crypto but there's a difference between being skeptical and being um, you know having targets to meet. So the, I think there is there is already a a, a resurgence of crypto. No, it's, I don't think it'll be on the same scale that it was before but you know bitcoin which went you know which went up as high as $69,000 it went down to about 15 or 16 and is back up in the 40s now and people are talking themselves again into res- that it's a respectable thing. But you know nothing really has changed. So the the FCA has some notional oversight now. But you're still in a situation where if you invest in crypto and someone runs off with your money or the thing collapses, you are going to lose every penny. And the likelihood of anyone being held to account for that is still close to zero. So um, people are still going to get hurt in the same way. Clubs will be a little bit more reluctant to take the money, but some of them are taking it. And I think, you know, I don't I you know, if I knew when Bitcoin was going to crash again, I, I'd Make a fortune out of it, but I suspect Bitcoin is going to keep going up and going down, and will take a long time to fully kind of um, kind of fade out. So, you know, we could be having this conversation again in another two years, and I suspect that even then, clubs will still be doing stuff that really no respectable football club should be involved in.
0: Martin, <laughs> don't take this in the in the wrong way, Kim. I, I, I wish I could say it's been a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> I, I could. T- <laughs> I I can just feel another bout of chunfering coming. Ali's on tour at the moment, and I I don't think she'd appreciate me phoning her up the minute we stop talking to start going on about Barnsley again, because she'd be saying, I've got Miles Jupp in the back of the car. He's not interested in either (laughs) Barnsley or Crawley Town. And I'd be like, but you've got to... It's just just so depressing. I mean, I can't recommend the book enough, Martin, I have to say, but Mm -hmm. it it, it reminds me of our pod. It's, It's actually depressing that you have to write that book and depressing that we have to keep doing this pod because we want, we want to stop doing it. We want football to be fixed, but it's not going to be fixed anytime soon. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Martin. It really has. Um, I've learned even more talking to you than I learned from reading the book. And it's been a pleasure to watch Kieran's face go through a range of emotions I've not seen happen before, as you... David. So um, best of luck with uh, everything you do in the future, Martin. And, and if there's anything you'd want to talk about again, then please let us know. We'll happily have you back on the pod.
2: Thank you so much. It's been an honour and a privilege to be invited on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: It's astonishing, Kieran, how even big clubs with a lot of money were so, as you say, blinded by the cheque. In the two sort of two years between, you know, 29 either side of the pandemic, if you like, they did no, no due diligence whatsoever on these generally scammers. And in some cases, carried on endorsing a product, knowing full well that fans of the club who bought it would lose money on it. It's astonishing, here.
1: It's astonishing and it's a fantastic revelation. I would encourage people to to read Martin's book. Um, And I think the salient issue, having read it all, is that you reach the conclusion that these cons are not dead, but just sleeping. And I think... Yeah, we are not guardians of the game, me and you. But I think, you know, fans in general, and hats off to all people such as Martin and Josie Marr and Joey D'Urso at the Athletic and, and others who do keep trying to hold these people to account. Um, and, and that's what they can do. And then it's up to the clubs. And also, to be fair, lots of fan groups, you know, and. and uh, uh, yeah, we, we're recording this just before the Derby game, but I also say hats off to the Palace fans who, who on mass said we're not having anything under that. Yeah, you know, this this is not this is not how we see Palace in terms of our relationship and our uh, equity in the club and the uh, other you
0: know the other buzzwords that these scammers
1: use. I think what
0: distresses me, man. I, I meant to talk about this to Martin. Uh, but with the, the interview was so full of detail. We went off in various different directions. I, I actually forgot to uh, And Palace weren't the only club who did this. I've, I've looked at the um, the T's and C's of a lot of clubs when they were setting up their their, their own cryptocurrencies. Um, Palace set up the Eagles. The, that was the name of the... They might as well have called it the Parishes because it was, a. a let's face it, partly a vanity project. But, we, yeah, and they all give the same warnings. They all, they all do, look, you know... You, People do trade and deal with these things, so be very careful if you do that. The Palace one actually says you could lose your house, which is a very stark warning. But also within the same T's and C's, they, they tell you, well, and don't forget, you could, you could be subject to capital gains tax. But, and that implies to me that there's a lot of money to be made. Because you have to make a lot of money, really, before you're going to be paying a capital gains tax. So, you know, at the same time as they're warning you, they're also tipping you the wink and going, "You can make a fortune out of these things," you know, because they they sell them quite innocently as, you know, what what flavor pie do you want for the Boxing Day game? You can you can vote now if you buy a, a token. And then the next thing they're doing is telling you that you can make a lot of money off the back of that token, but don't lose your house. It's not right, Kieran. It's just not right.
1: You're absolutely correct. Um, the, The people who are behind these schemes, they're very good at walking the tightrope in terms of not marketing their product or service as an investment. But they let other people do that. They do the dog whistling and the the remaining people respond. And I thought Martin was also very fair. You know, he, he spoke in respect of you know, you, you asked that question in respect of about Bitcoin, um, and, and why that is sort of a separate issue from you know the fan tokens and the utility tokens and God knows what else um that are being used as as a vehicle to um remove fans from their cash. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I've got absolutely nothing. If you want a digital card and if you want to swap them with your mates as an alternative to collecting panini cards or any other form of collectible, great. Enjoy it. Have fun. But it's not an investment. Yeah, you know, when when I look at my uh you know 2018 uh, FIFA World Cup Panini collection which has still got twelve stickers missing. I don't go to myself, yeah Kieran, when you retire, that's your that's your nest egg mate. That's
0: your nest egg You know on yesterday's pod Kieran I talked about you finally being out to look Uncle Terry in the eye and uh, now I rescind that now Kieran because <laughs> although I'm sure if Uncle Terry were still with us he'd get you those twelve stickers. Uh, okay. <laughs> they might be ripped Probably out. Of the, the, yeah. yeah, they might be ripped out of a nine-year-old album, but he'd get them for you. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you, and it will give you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. If you want to do that, you can go to Patreon.com/priceoffootball. You can go to questions at priceoffootball.com if you've got a question you'd like answered on our regular Monday show. And you can go to priceoffootball.com if you want to buy a book or a Price of Football t shirt. Bye, everyone. Bye.
1: The Price of Football.
0: a uh, football.